Hello and welcome to the Sun and the Moon. I'm your host Alexandria Irons, and I'm here with Luna Alden, <laughs> Luna Wickham. And hopefully, we'll be having Andy Lopez of the Invisible Gardener with us. Sorry for the delay, you guys. Um, we're having a little bit of technical difficulties getting him on the air, but you know, I can talk forever. Luna can talk forever. So if he doesn't, isn't able to get in the show, the show will go on. We will talk your ear off. So get ready, sit back, grab some smoke, and let's get this going. What I mean, I'm I'm excited. I don't know much about Andy, but I just pulled up his website and I mean, Invisible Gardener established in 1972. That's my mom was born in 1972, man. I wasn't even a thought back then. So this guy has been doing this thing since oh, for a long time, man. I mean, don't panic. It's organic. He has that copyrighted. All right. It looks like um, he's been talking about GMO since 1989, climate change since the 80s published thousands of articles and he has been working as a force to fight and heal the earth. So I hope that he can join us. Um, but you know, if not, I just, you know, teased you guys all about him. So you'll just have to watch yesterday's all about the biology, right? With Ken, he did it yesterday. Hmm? Okay, cool. Yeah. So Luna, what's going on? Let's let's do a garden update. I want to hear what have you got going on in your garden right now. Um, I've been dealing with like a lot of really dry conditions around here because I live in the middle of the desert. So I just installed like a whole bunch of misters, like a nice mister system, um, which really seems to have helped like my trans evaporation issues that I was having. And um, I've been doing a lot of uh, uh, micronized calcium foliar sprays lately. Um, which has been really okay. cool. I've seen like turgidity um, increase and a lot of like vigor and like a, just like a really drastic growth rate after fixing that humidity problem. And then adding the, um, this, it was, uh, I'm doing like amino acid sprays with micronized calcium, like really small calcium. calcium what, molecules. what kind, like, what are you using? What's the micronized calcium from? Um, well, it's a uh, calcium sulfate. So it's gypsum. So it's just like okay, like processed to like a really small molecule, so that it can, you know, like penetrate directly into the cell of the plant. Cool. I was so. I mean, we talked about this a little bit last week about the I think right the foliar feeding and how some of the larger molecules can have a hard time moving through the plant. Do you find that? Because I know calcium is a larger molecule. Do you find that? I mean, I guess if you're spraying the whole plant, though, and you have enough calcium already within your plant, it's going to just be boosting it regardless um, and increasing those health benefits. But do you think that it's, I mean, how do we know if it's mobile, right? Um, right, for sure. Um, I kind of try to, like, load my plants with calcium and nitrogen, like, kind of towards like the end of, of veg like I kind of try to hit them pretty hard all the way through the, through veg and into veg um just so I can stop hitting them later on um because I don't like doing foliar sprays and flower so I want to yeah. make sure that they're really loaded with calcium and nitrogen so they can get all the way through their cycle with what they need so that they don't show deficiencies around like week five um so at this point I'm just kind of like hitting them every night I've been hitting them with calcium and every and night every night oh cool amino acids 
is what I know we're not like brands or whatever, but what, so your gypsum, is that a specific product for micronized or is it just whatever, like, are you doing anything to it or what's, do you follow that guy slow nickel? On his oh screen? yeah. You bought his stuff. Yeah. So I got his stuff. Um, okay. Different um, sizes, whatever. Like, I don't know if they're microns. I don't think they're micron, but just like different sizes. And I got like the smallest one. Um, okay. And I was then, looking at his products and I was like, oh, should I buy it? I don't know. Like, do you think it's worth them? You know, what it's, what you got? You know, I was, it was definitely expensive and I would never use it as a, as a soil drench because it's super expensive. Um, and I have just such a large soil mass that I just, it just doesn't make sense to me. Um, mm -hmm. So I've been doing it as a foliar application um, and I've definitely noticed like a real difference in the plants. Um, okay. And it's pretty rare because like a lot of the times like I do a bunch of different stuff to my plants um, and it's, it's hard to know like which thing that I did is, is like creating this response. Right. And like my hands, my, my hands, my plants are like, <laughs> um, you know, like full of turgidity um, all the time. Uh, and so sometimes it's hard to like tell if what I did really did anything, but like this has like, has like a really obvious visual benefit. Um, okay. The, the amino acid source, the soy aminos, um, in combination with the the micronized calcium, because they're both like these really stable inputs um, for like you know cell growth and chlorophyll density, um, but also in the like the forms that they're being used, like an, an amino acid source like has nitrogen, and then like a micronized calcium. So like the plant doesn't require um, energy to like convert these into readily available form. You know, like they're just there. There. They're in, they're in Boom. the cell. And it's just boom, right, right where they need to be, you know, instead of like yeah. going through the plant, it's just right on the plant to be. Hell yeah. I was actually looking at a soy. I was going to ask you that your amino acids, were they soy based? And then I literally was just looking at slow nickels and I just couldn't because I'm such a DIY, like affordable, free. I'll use it if you give it to me, man. <laughs> but I was like, dang, that's a little expensive, but I think I'm gonna have to try it out because I just um, dialing in our room and just switch up being on city water and our soil mix that we're using. I find that we need way more calcium than what what's been going on. And I've just been like playing with different things, playing with, I have a little gypsum, I have um, oyster shell flour, um, basalt rock dust. But it's not, it's all of those things that need to be, like you said, broken up in the soil. It's not like I'm, I, I would like a foliar. And I was like, man, I don't have a water soluble calcium. I just ran out. And so I was looking at his because I've been following his whole, like the hollow stems thing that he talks about on Instagram. So synchronicity. I think that this is my sign that I should just pull the trigger and just get some play with it. Yeah, I think it's worth it. You know, I just wanted to check it out. Um, cause uh, the, the interview on, on our channel, um, with Tim Hanrahan, he talked about it quite a bit. Um, okay. and then after he like kind of discussed those things. That's when I decided to really just like try it out. Um, and if you haven't checked that out, um, anyone like, please do that. That episode is just super solid and full of tons of information. Um, but it was, it's definitely worth checking out. You know, it's, it's one of those nutrients, one of those elements that's like so crucial just like yeah exactly 
right? You said you have oyster shell flour. Have you ever tried mixing it with apple cider vinegar? No, but somebody was just telling me that. Somebody was like, oh, you could do a soluble with just adding vinegar to it. Uh, Chris, Chris, I think, Chris Trump, we were just talking about that. So, um, yeah, I should just try that. I haven't tried it before. Um, but Matt Powers mentioned it on our on our podcast a couple weeks ago. Oh, that's who it was then. Okay. Um, yes. But um, I wonder what the ratio. Apple cider vinegar. Do, I would just do like equal volume, or maybe like a little bit more vinegar than equal volume, right? Um, so you can like yeah. pull it off like later on, um, and just do like water soluble calcium. I was thinking of doing it just because I I hate the tediousness of peeling eggshells and smashing them and cooking them and having them smell at my kitchen for for days. <laughs> I know. I know. I think that the, the oyster shell flour would be like a good alternative. Okay. I have that on hand. I should just do it and play around with it and see what happens. Cause you know, it's like cooking. You never know until you try, if you like the recipe. Tell me what, how your, um, uh, your class with, um, Chris Trump went. Oh, it went really good. It was super fun. Um, I actually need to go check my IMO3 pile that we built together out there. Um, so we did IPMO and an IPMO3 and FAA, so fish amino acids. And we went out and it's it's hard because even though Spokane is like got a lot of trees and forests, it's been like raped and pillaged uh, like a bunch of times. So there's no not really like nearby old growth, wild areas. So we had a little difficulty placing the IMO box and like we went to a couple different places. Um, and just like trying to find a place where we would have the least amount of human disturbance was kind of hard to find without driving like an hour. Um, but I need to go check on that IMO box we put out together because it's been like five days. So <laughs> I just, uh, <laughs> it was cold though. Four to seven days. Um, and he said that the warmer the temperature, um, the faster it will colonize in the bloom. And it's been kind of like, cool and rainy here the last few days so I wasn't like in too much of a hurry to go back through like this thick we found like a really thick marshland that there was like swarmed by mosquitoes getting eaten alive scratchy grass all over <laughs> so um but I'm really really excited about the IPMO because I use entomopathogenic fungi like religiously in my IPM plan. I'm all about the Isaria fumosa rosea, uh, Bavaria bassiana. Um, and then it's just like so expensive. And now that I'm not on a commercial farm where I'm growing large quantities, it's kind of like cost prohibitive for me to buy a one pound bag that has to be used within a year, kept in the refrigerator when I only have, you know, my small medical grow. And I'm like, well, let's see if this IPMO works. And, um, you know, so we've got the pile going and basically it's an IMO, but with insect grass. So you're calling in. Aren't yes. you to like collect local dead pests? That's what I thought too, because that's what Steve Raisner said. But uh -huh. um, Chris, he said, no. And he said that when he did it, he just used, um, uh, when he discovered it actually was he was making an IMO pile and he, or an IMO three pile. And um, there were weevils 
in the grain bag that he was using. And so um, after it had bloomed and the IMO had gone in and kind of colonized that pile, um, he saw these little white fuzz balls and they were the weevils that they had been, um, you know, infected by this entomopathogenic fungi. And he was like, he didn't really realize exactly what was going on. And then he made a foliar spray on his uh, macadamia trees with this IMO3 pile. And then he saw the same little white fuzz balls all over the macadamia tree. And it was diff all different pests. It just attacked and killed and wiped out like all of the pests that were present. And so it, he said it doesn't really, it's not necessary to have the target insect. It just needs to be, um, you just need that chitin in there to attract it's the entomopath. Insects specifically. Yeah. Yep. That's really interesting. Yep. What does it look like? Is it is it all like myceliated? We'll see. We'll see. I mean, <laughs> I right now I have the IPMO three pile that's got a ton of mycelium in it. But our box that we put out together, that's the one that is the IPMO box. So I need to go collect it and see what it looks like. I mean, I'm super curious to see if it works and. Um, you know, it's just like another easy way, cost-effective way for people to save money and use something that's going to work in harmony with nature, right? Instead of uh, organic pesticide, which a lot of them are actually really still not great, you know, like mm -hmm. pyrethrums can get into waterways and be toxic and build up and they last like 64 days in the plant tissue. Um, I did some consulting and this guy had used it and in California it's like uh, I believe it was it's banned um yeah, for commercial cannabis mm -hmm. and I told him this and I was like you're probably not going to pass your testing you sprayed one time but it can stay in tissue for 64 days um so then he made like a concentrate it didn't show up in the flower and then he made a concentrate and there was pyrethrins in the concentrate so it's like, mm, I'm not trying to smoke pyrethrins. I'm sorry. Like, right. I, we don't know. We're like a one giant big human experiment at this point. But um, I'm not trying. Like, this is medicine for me. I'm not trying to smoke. I would rather have a little bit of bug damage than smoke but, pyrethrins. Yeah. Than something that's toxic. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um. Have you ever tried to culture Bavaria Bassiana on rice before? No, I would like to. And we actually started going down this rabbit hole up because I use a lot of trichoderma for IPM as well. Like uh, trichoderma spray in flour. Um, you don't have to worry about this because you don't have a humid area, but um, trichoderma spray in late flower before the mold, before the rains come. Um, it really does a really good job. Trichoderma and bacillus, uh, like five different strains. I have like a probiotic blend that I'll just spray my plants and it's super effective at combat combating any kind of fungal pathogen because it outcompetes. Trichoderma is like so freaking aggressive. Unfortunately, uh, it's so aggressive that, I'm sorry, what? Oh, sorry. It, uh, they don't test for trichoderma? Trichoderma isn't something that's tested for? No. No. And it's like you like you can, I don't know, I, I don't spray like 
up to harvest, but like a few weeks, two, two weeks before, three weeks before, about when the caterpillars start coming out, same time that I'm spraying my BT for caterpillars, I'll right. put a little trichoderma in there. Um, and then, so it's just so aggressive. And I had this mushroom monotub, monotub grow along that I was hosting and my monotub got infected with trichoderma. <laughs> Yeah, that'll, 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 that's, like the big one. that's a big one in mushroom cultivation. Yeah, it's so aggressive. And so like, it's hard because I have trichodermas everywhere. And I have freaking a worm bin on my back porch. And I put my compost in um, a bowl on my kitchen counter and then just take it out every day. But I have like a horrible uh, fruit fly infestation. And the fruit flies brought the trichoderma in they got into the monotub. And so I had like a million fruit flies in my monotub. So, (laughs) so my thought is like, okay, the whole IMO thing, like you're putting rice out there, you're collecting indigenous microorganisms. Right. But essentially you could just extrapolate that idea to anything of a collection of microbes that you want then you could know that you're targeting them by putting out what their food source what they're attracted to so i was like dude i have all this trichoderma like i'm just gonna keep my monotub growing and grow out the trichoderma and then see if i can make a spray from the trichoderma in the ruined monotub and you turn my lemons into lemonade sorry sorry (laughs) using the trichoderma has hazarium um, there's like five here. Let me pull up all five strains. There's five strains. I usually use this brand called Custom GP. And so um, it's from Florida, Custom Biologicals. And it's for like uh, Big Ag. He sells it to like orange orchards out in Florida. And let me see if I can find what five strains are in there. Trichoderma, uh, yep, Harzianum. I'm terrible at pronouncing. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know how to pronounce it. <laughs> I know. Veridi, Veride, Conningi, and Polysporum. Okay. So. Okay. <laughs> so it's like, so it's like a, um, yeah, it's a polyculture. And then you're introducing it to rice. I just, I feel like maybe one of them is going to end up dominating it, though. Yeah, probably. But that's the whole point. If I'm like trying to have my plant be dominated with it before the botrytis comes or the PM or whatever it is, I don't even know what to expect. This is my first time growing outside in Washington. But if we had freaking botrytis and PM, I mean, also we were living in a neighborhood filled with where like every single house had a hundred foot greenhouse. So it's like everyone's problems or everyone's problems are sharing around the block. And here there's like a normal neighborhood where there's no growers, but it's a lot more humid. It's a lot more rain. So we'll see. I mean, I don't know. And I figure like whichever one is the most dominant is going to be the most voracious, right? Yeah, exactly. Right. And then it'll just like out dominate. I probably won't put it on my big plants. I'll probably just do like a little tester on probably even squash would be great because I know in the fall, squash is like 
covered in PM. And so if I just spray with this and just see what happens, it might be like, you know, then I don't have to buy this $30 bottle of, although I do have to say this is $39 for a one liter size. No, I'm sorry. 50 milliliter size. And it treats 2.5 acres. So yeah, 40 bucks for 2.5 acres. I only have four plants in my backyard, so <laughs> I don't need that. <laughs> yeah, I don't need that much. Um, so I think that uh, our guest, Andy, isn't going to be joining the show, you guys. So I hope you don't mind just hanging out with me and Luna for the next 30 minutes, talking garden talk. Um but I just wanted everyone to know that Andy is not going to be on. So we will postpone. Maybe he'll come back next week because I really wanted to hear about his, um, like, so you, you had mentioned he like is into like energy and frequency. And so I was wondering if that is going to correlate into his gardening of like maybe biodynamic farming or, um, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, well, I guess we'll have to stay tuned. You guys we will have to save the show and watch next week when, um, Oh, yeah, we can get him. Yeah, he's is, on. Is he now he's, on? What? I don't know. I'm confused. Let's, uh, hold on, hold on. <laughs> after I just said that, then it's like, Oh, he figured it out. Oh, but so yeah, I mean, let me see if there's, comments from um oh let me read the comments sorry i have not been reading the comments you guys somebody's done the, ice, the apple cider vinegar and kombucha with a oyster shell okay all right you know gotta use that booch um i love it when they got booch on tap that's not a comment that was just me uh let's see <laughs> um uh ladies night and so yes okay rambling is fine yeah, cool. I love I love rambling, you guys. I can ramble, we can ramble. like no other. Um, ramble. ramble, ramble, ramble. No, but really, this the biodynamic really interests me because even though it's a little woo-woo, some of it, right? I mean, we that is also a part of humanity, spirituality. It's part of our core, like human culture to work with the moon or our basis of agriculture. You know, it's like kind of like a... I mean, 15,000 years ago when agriculture started, this we, these were the tools we had. And so I've gone to a couple of workshops just because I was interested. And, and this compost was selling for $800 a freaking yard for biodynamic compost. And what the ladies did, they had their own cow farm and they slaughtered the cow on the full moon, I think, and drained its blood into a clay vessel. And then packed it with digestive herbs like chamomile and ginger. And I, I'm not sure all of the preparations. Um, and then buried it in the soil and like let it sit for a year. And then poured that on top of their compost. And it they, they had a, a wait list for getting the next compost. And $800 a freaking yard. That was the most expensive yard of compost I have ever seen. I mean, I, I was blown away. 
And so then I'm like, this is crazy. Like, what's the science behind this? What is the science going on? I mean, I understand lots of biodiversity. They're using the whole animal. Um, but then I, one of their preparations was the cow horn with the quartz crystals in it. And then packing that with the compost that was had all of the blood and all of that stuff in it. And then using that as a foliar spray in the fall. So they bury it in the spring, unbury it in the fall, and then use that as a spray on their plants. And my thinking is bacillus, um, tons of bacteria that are just going to outcompete any kind of, because it was for fungal, the same thing like what we're talking about, you know, fungal pathogens, and silica, because quartz crystal is fucking... Sorry, I don't know. I can't remember if we're supposed to cuss on this show or not, but no, we um, <laughs> it's, it's our show. We can create our own bio. Fuck, 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 fuck. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, Honestly, so that's the, that's like what I came to the conclusion of. It was really just probably the bacillus and the silica in there that was like helping the plant out. Uh huh. I'm yeah. Okay. <laughs> I am not. I am not. A, I am not a woo person. Like I am all about connecting with the earth. I love nature. Um, you know, I feel like a real connection with plants and microbes and and the sun and everything. Um, but I am like a strict science mind kind of person. Um, and like I feel like everything has a, a scientific explanation behind it. And even if it doesn't currently, it doesn't mean that it doesn't. It won't in the future, right? Um, and I'm open to. To, to learning things, you know, and to, to new avenues and stuff that I don't currently understand. Um, but if I hear something like something like that to me, I mean, I respect everyone in their practice a hundred percent. And if people have their own thing, way to do it, that's awesome. But like $800 for a yard of compost, there's nothing that you could do to make it worth $800. Um, I mean, like, sure, we yeah. can add silica, we can add silica to our compost and sure we can add blood meal to our compost and I know, I know. I think it was just uh, that's the just intention. Me. That's just me. That's just me, and I'm not trying to poop on anyone's on anyone's parade. Um, but that's just me. Yeah. No, I feel you, girl. I would never have bought it. I was actually really surprised because I bought um, like a pack, a five pack of classes through a agricultural nonprofit to learn more about farming in my community and what the farms were. And that was one of the one of the farms on the class tour for, but Nevada County, baby, it's Burning Man all the time. It's the woo woo, like, like you a, know. I like it. I love that vibe. You know, like I've gone to Burning Man uh, eight years now. You know, like I'm I'm all about it. Um, but I I just sometimes sometimes when, when when people go that way, I'm like, yeah. okay, all right. I, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But that's just me. And um, well, I I dated a guy who would put organite in all of his grows, so there's always the organite for the frequency and the energy. And I don't really know much about organite, but um, I do believe that our intention and our like thoughts can contribute to an outcome because placebo effect i mean if you believe something enough and you put enough attention into it then maybe there is something that is going to at least be perceived to you um and so i i you know there's both sides of the coin is it actually doing something or are you believing that it's doing something because of that placebo that like 
so much focus and intention. It's kind of yeah. like how I feel about prayer. Uh-huh. You know, like you're praying and you're praying and you're praying and you're meditating and you're putting so much energy into that one thing. And so maybe then that is where it is coming. So if you just like pray hard enough, maybe your plants. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> so, I mean, since we're, we're diving straight into the woo, so let's try dive straight into the woo. And, 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 um, I have like my own feelings about like the universe and matter and like consciousness. And I personally believe that, that all matter has a form of consciousness and that our consciousness like can communicate and interact with it and influence it in ways. Um, and I think that there's science, you know, there, there is science to it. Um, whether, you know, it isn't fully understood yet, but I do believe that it exists. Um, and so in, in like that respect, I think if you like treat things with intention, um, like we, like our consciousness, our per perception of our consciousness does interact with like the consciousness of like everything around us to like influence it in like these minor ways. And, you know, I've done, I've done a lot of psychedelics in my day and, and different ceremonies and stuff like that and ayahuasca and stuff. Um, and I've had, you know, psychedelic epiphanies and communication with, you know, people telepathically and, and had weird synchronicities happen like all the time. So like, I, I like believe in that, in that kind of stuff. Um, maybe I should charge $800 for my, my, my compost. <laughs> um, well, if you included a ceremony with it, maybe you could. Yeah. You know, maybe, um, <sighs> And um, I, I, you know, I believe that the planets, they, they have like effects on us in particular ways, whether or not they're going to like make our compost significantly better because of like our intention. I'm not entirely sure of, I think it's, it has a lot to do with, you know, like our, like the energy of the universe is what creates like the different elements to me, right? Like it's what, like why elements of different kinds exist. And I mean like the periodic table of element, it's of elements yep. of different um, actual tangible energy created this big profile of elements and those interact energetically with each other. And that is like a science and like a spirit. Like, I really don't think that like science and spirit are like detachable um, from each other, you know? So I feel like when we're working with science, we are working with like spirit. Um, but I think that sometimes people's intentions with spirit isn't necessarily going to be interacting with science right um yeah and i think that there's kind yeah. of like a fine line between there um and sometimes some people get carried away um I, I i worked on this i worked on this farm one time and this and um the guy who owned the farm um i told him like uh you know because i was helping him with his clones and i was uh, he was doing it in rock wool and i was like hey like need some like ph down um to like you know get this rock wool to the right uh, this is a long time ago. Don't judge me. Um, <laughs> and uh, uh, we needed some pH down to get the um, the the rock wool to the right pH. And he told me that if I just use my consciousness and focus on on it enough, that I could drop the pH of the of the water to five point five. And I was like, no, no, no I can't. <laughs> I'm not going to be able to do that. Um, and, I and then he's like, that's like, why. Okay. Um, I'll try that, you know? And then I just, I just mixed it and did it and like, and it didn't work. Right. And I was like, that's the stuff that I used my, my, my 
universe juice to pH. <laughs> it didn't work out. Sorry. But well, it's because you didn't believe. I know. Right? <laughs> I need to practice my my juju. Right. Um, somebody's asking where to where sells the best quality seeds. Uh, Luna has seeds, you guys. If you aren't growing any of her genetics, you should be getting some. So, I mean, when it comes to like the best quality seeds, um, I would have to have tried everybody's seeds to really know. Um, but I do have seeds for sale. Um, if you want some cheese crosses, and I have some really high yielding stuff. I have some like cookies, um, some gassy. Um, so kind of like fuel-y. I have some cherry stuff, um, a lot of like berry. I have lemon. Um, I try to get like the full profile of like aromas and expressions in there. Um, yeah, think pH down. Uh, <laughs> think pH down. Um, someone had asked earlier uh, uh, what I thought about uh, Malibu. Yeah, buy directly from the breeder. Um, things like seeds need to be stored properly to really you know, maintain their vigor and their like germination rate. Um, and like the more they pass through hands, like they can, they can be messed up. Oh, wait, you, wait, who are you pointing at? Are you pointing at me? Oh, you. Okay. Uh -huh. <laughs> yes, Cause you're you. the breeder. But yeah, I was pointing yeah, the wrong yeah. direction at first. <laughs> I was like, who are we pointing to? Um, thank you. Thank you, Alex. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm just now starting a new breeding project too. I, I uh, just mixed up my, my new bed with some fresh new soil. Um, I got my earthworm castings and my insect frost, my aloe vera in there, and some kashi. I'm gonna let it, gonna let it chill for a little bit. Um, then I'm gonna be planting, planting my new genetics in there for my my next seed run. So I'll have another. How do you do that? Planting. How do you collect pollen? How do you choose the male? I want to know. I'm don't, I've, I don't. I I've I never listened to a breeder talk. My so my mail is in um, is in my mother room. Um, I keep my mail uh, alive and I clone off of it, and you know just keep it going constantly uh, because I selected it for specific characteristics, right? Um, out of like a, a handful of different other males, uh, I think it was like 10 or so. Um, I like to find tight internet spacing. Um, I don't like a lot of side branches. Um, I look for height. Like a lot of the time male plants, they want to like shoot up real high. Um, which is great for like uh, male plants in the wild, but when it comes to to um, characteristics being passed into like an indoor setting or just like for crop man or for canopy management reasons, uh, having a plant that wants to just shoot up isn't really going to be good. So I try to find males like with the most female type qualities in a plant, which is kind of funny. <laughs> um, I want to find the boys that look like the girls. Um, so I so I found like a really wide flat canopy that stayed really short with nice tight node spacing um and that's what i've been using for my breeding so i i i'm gonna put eight you know three three eight in a square and then the male in the center um okay and let it let it rock let it go and pollinate. okay and so how close is this to your is it in a room a tent a room a greenhouse uh it's just a tent um, okay. You can make a lot of seeds from a four by four tent. I made like 10,000 seeds out of this four by four last time I did it. Um, okay. It's, you make a lot of seeds. Um, okay. And it looks like I might actually be doing a seed run after um, my harvest in October, after like the full term harvest. I might turn my debt bed into an entire seed run and try to grow like a um like a quarter million seeds of skunk crosses um 
but I don't know if I should be talking about that yet because it isn't confirmed. But oh, I actually heard about this from some another breeder. I think I know yeah. what you're talking about. Oh, oh, right, that's right. Oh shit. <laughs> um, <laughs> on the DL. Um, a nice little teaser. Nice little teaser out there. Um, so yeah, so that's, that's okay. Fun. Well, I want to so, try breeding just for fun. I want to just see the process and see what it looks like. And I have a couple males right now, but I don't have. Everyone wants to give me feminized seeds, and I'm like, I've only gotten a few packs of regular, and I'm like, why is everybody feminizing their seeds? I want some males. I want to see this. I want to just do it for myself, so I have a better understanding of the whole process. Right. Um, so I don't feminize my seeds. I have a bunch of regulars. Okay. okay. Well, I yeah. still need to grab some of you, some seeds yeah. from you, girl. I keep saying that I'm going to send you seeds. Send me your address. You guys do right now. Okay. My address is no. <laughs> yeah. Save it on, save on, the, on the show. Know, and everyone can send me seeds and, and stuff. S send me nice things. Only. Yeah. Right. No. Yeah. Everyone, everyone send Alex all of, all of your gifts. Send Alex all of your gifts. And positive intentions. I'll take those. <laughs> and positive intentions. Yes, on the full moon, on the full moon, and the new moon. <laughs> um, the um, and I'm not making fun of anyone. I swear to God. Um, the I saw a question earlier about Malibu compost. Um, Malibu compost, from what I understand, is a um, cow manure-based compost. It has been used by a whole bunch of different people successfully. Um, I have used it before, but I now stay away from from animal manures just in general. Um, not saying that they don't work, not saying that they don't have their own unique profile of biology that contributes to, you know, expressions and plants and stuff like that. But I personally stay away from um, animal manures, but you don't have to. Um, What's your reason? Um, just... You're a vegan. Okay. Well, we just started talking about Malibu compost, and I don't want to imply that that Malibu compost might have, um, you know, anything wrong with it. Um, yeah, it's certified, right? It's gone through rigorous testing. I think it's got certifications. I don't know much right. about it, but right, you know, it's expensive. Hundred percent. So I'm sure the Malibu compost is safe. Um, but in the past, I've seen people using horse manure, cow manure um composts typically when it's homemade and that just like destroys plants um it can it can have a lot of pathogens if it's not made right it can be really dangerous to use um i've seen it create uh, crown rot problems and infection problems in the stems um but i'm not saying that malibu compost is going to do those things and please malibu compost don't come for me um if, that's not what i'm trying to say and if you guys do make your own it's recommended, like UC Davis recommends 160, is that six months or 180? Six months aging before you even put it through a composting process. And you must have a thermometer and you must be getting it to a certain temperature and go through these things. Like, so what she's saying doesn't, you aren't passing on pathogens. You aren't doing those things, but you have to be really careful when you're taking these things into your own hands because microbiology is filled with good guys and bad guys. And so that is just something like you have to be aware of if you're playing with poop. 100%. 100%. Playing with poop, there's 
things that can go wrong. Um, and specifically mammal, uh, mammal poop, you know, other poops aren't, yeah. aren't as big of a deal. Yeah. I like, I like, I mean, alpaca poo. I've seen really great um, flower and things grown with alpaca poo that's then run through um, worm vermicomposting, like commercialized. And that's turned out amazing quality compost. Um, horse manure, you have to be really careful. A lot of the seeds will germinate. Um, and then there's also dewormers that the farmers give to the horses. So um, a test for that is like buy a little bit or take some of your worms if you have your worm bin and like put some worms in the poo. If they die, then they're, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, what other, what other tips? So, and then, and then I don't know much about. Lotus larva. Give, give, give your poops to your bugs. Let your bugs deal with your poop. Yes, yes. Um, and age it, age it, age it, age it. Don't put that fresh poo down. Yeah. Right. Yes, you have to age it. Because I swear, I mean, poop, the great poop loop is integral part of regenerative ag. Like you should be using, <laughs> you should be using poop like as a byproduct, like using your animals. It should be like the synergy, like, oh, um, you know, I, I personally don't buy manures. But if I have goats, chickens, alpacas, like they're part of the family farm, you should be like, that's a, a usable resource. And so it's like everyone's perspective or everyone's situation is different. So I personally probably wouldn't buy a bag of Malibu, but I've used horse manure. I've used cow manure. I've used alpaca manure. Um, but I've, put it through like aging and composting and worms and like a big process before putting it. It's not like you just put that in your garden. Great. Yep. So rabbit and sheep. Yeah, I, rabbit. Rabbit is, is safer. Yeah. Rabbit mm -hmm. sheep. yeah. Anything that's pelletized is safer. Um, mm -hmm. Rabbit, alpaca, goat, any of those like little pellets are a lot safer. Um, somebody's gonna be using I don't know but gonna be using chicken shit next year okay chicken is really high chickens all birds poop and pee at the same time so the little white part on a bird's poop is the pee so it's gonna have a lot higher of nitrogen than any of the other manures so um, be careful with that and also chickens can like well like what is that one green bag of chicken poo I don't remember what it's called, but that one can test high for like heavy metals and other things. So, um, where you get it from and how you use is like really important. Um, somebody says they've used just worm castings and rock dust. No pig doesn't break down. All right, man. I love this poop talk, everybody. <laughs> the great, the great poop loop. Poop yes. 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 Chicken shavings. Yeah. Chicken bedding is great. I use my chicken bedding that's incorporated with their manure and compost it. I, I just compost everything first. And that I guess works for me. Why I like use more thermophilic is because I oftentimes have animals that I'm incorporating their waste into. And that's really important when you are using animal manure to get it above like 175 degrees for at least three days. 
um yeah yeah dude yeah. be careful though it could catch yeah, on fire gotta, i've heard you gotta cook off stuff. yeah you gotta cook you gotta cook it real good <sighs> yeah so mm. i gotta go check on that pile speaking of which okay so back to the imo pile he right. told me when we built it like six inches was like the perfect height but it was just the volume wasn't really there. So I think that I went out and I checked on it about 24 hour mark and I was super scientific and didn't have a thermometer. I couldn't find my thermometer and I just used my hands and um, it was not very hot. And so I built it up a little bit. And so like, that's really, if you wanna generate more heat, having a deeper, like a taller pile is gonna help you generate more heat. Um, so we'll see. I need to go check on it again, but it's the don't IMO pile is, huh? Don't you want IMO three between like 120 and 130? He said, don't let it get above 120. One, don't let it get above 120. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, well, you know, turn my oven on, put my hand in there. No, just, <laughs> I could tell. I could. What does this feel like? This feel like 120 degrees? This feel like 120 degrees? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, so we're approaching an hour. We have a couple questions. Um, who's doing the questions? Can we get the questions? Where are you sourcing your earthworm castings? Mulch for indoors. Um, so local, I always just go with local earthworm castings. Um, and I go for whatever's the wettest, honestly. Um, I go for whatever is like, you know, pure castings, the most pure castings and the most moist personally is what I do. Um, I have a company that I like to use, um, here in Oregon called Wormworks, but I mean, I just definitely recommend going to your local, finding a local earthworm casting place, um, uh, like Verma, Verma composting location. Um, and they're going to be collecting all the like local vegetation and like waste and stuff. Um, and that's going to have biology that's kind of adapted to your climate better than if you're going to import it from across the country or from a different climate in general. Also shipping long distances, um, you're subject to a lot of different environmental changes and um, definitely just stay local, stay fresh, stay moist. Um, what was the other yeah. question? Oh. I think that... Um sustainability is also about supporting your community. So if you can support a local business, that's much better than paying somebody to ship it to you. Definitely. Um, and then I think that the other question about mulching indoors, um, I found a GMO free regenerative farm um, that, that had a whole bunch of oat straw and I've been using oat straw um, for my mulch indoors and outdoors this season. Um, awesome. Uh, for the most part, I did have some alfalfa that I used too, but for my, my jet bed and my indoor, it was all oat straw. Yeah. Somebody put rice holes and I, I was told that, and I had rice holes on hand cause I'm mixing my own soils and I was like, um, I'll play around with it. I was used to use rice straw in California because I was right next to like rice farms and you could get organic anything. But here in Washington, I've had a really hard time finding unsprayed 
wheat, wheat everywhere here. There's so much wheat and it's all freaking sprayed. And so I didn't want to bring in pesticides. So I was like, oh, well, you know, I'm going to try the rice holes because everybody's been saying that. And what I found is that it doesn't, um, fungal life doesn't like it as much as straw. And so I'm not seeing um, as much mycelium and fungal life growing under the rice holes just move around a ton when you water. And I don't know if it's like the high silica content, if that contributes anything. And there's not maybe not as much lignin in it, which the, you know, the mycelium likes to feed on that higher lignin. I don't know what it is, but I'm just not seeing as good of, um, fungal life using the rice holes. So I'm definitely on the lookout. If anybody's in Eastern Washington and knows of a nice unsprayed straw source, tell me. It's unfortunate. Yeah, that weed's going to have a bunch of glyphosate on it too. Yeah, I know. I know. So gross. Ew. I don't, so I haven't used it. And the rice holes are like food grade from the brew shop. So I'm like, okay, at least I know this is safe. It's or but yeah, definitely that's, not. That's too. Um, there was a question someone asked. Oh, they, they want to, they want us to talk about um, IPM for big plants. Ooh, yeah. Well, you guys know that I taught an IPM class and I do have to say that it was possibly one of the best classes I've taught. I talked for three hours nonstop. Boom, 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 boom. I wrote like, I don't know, 15 articles, a little pest, a 28 page cannabis pest guide with pictures and product links. Um, so 20% off use code holistic, buy it. <laughs> but um, really I could go on about IPM. What specifically are you like, what do you want? Like preventative IPM. Um, I like to spray sulfur through vegetative. I'm a fan of sulfur, especially in humid areas. Um, I like the probiotics, the prebiotics, you know, the trichoderma, the bacillus, the uh, BT. I like using my environment. I like um, nice, just consistently taking care of my plant, looking at it, checking, scoping, maintaining, and making sure that I'm on top of it. That is a huge part of IPM. Pulling leaves, looking at the underside. Um, Freaking Dr. Bronner's and a little bit of isopropyl alcohol and water. I spray my plants with that. And that's like, does a really good job of just keeping down any like soft bodied insects, aphids, thrips, spider mites, things like that, that are just like not a problem yet, but like preventatively just to get that going. Um, and in vegetative, you can use, they have peppermint. And it's essentially like, if you look at like, plant therapy and freaking canatrol, mammoth pea, like all of these products, they're just selling like some kind of oil, soap, alcohol, and essential oil. And it's like, you could just use like a horticultural oil, like Monterey or Stuff Oil X um, and make your own things uh, for way cheaper. Sulfur in the oil. Don't, don't mix your sulfur yes. in your oil together yes phytotoxicity y'all use the dr bronner's though you can spray with the dr bronner's after you use sulfur like a couple of times and it'll wash off all of that sulfur and then you can bring in uh horticultural oil um and then also i'm a huge fan of the entomopathogenic fungi 
the Bavaria, Bastiana, the Isaria fumosa and you don't want to use oil and fungal spores either because that will like glue the fungal spores and they won't like have the chance to like sporulate and they can get trapped in the oil. So, okay. Yeah. I've never heard that. That's good to know. Yeah. I just learned that recently. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Here, um, I'm going to drop this class in the. So I always avoided sulfur um, just because uh, it can, well, you said in veg, huh? You said only in veg. Yeah. You? Only yeah. in veg. Do not yeah. use it at all in flour. As soon as you start seeing, even pre-flour, I don't even like to mess around because sulfur stinks, you guys. It's nasty. It does. And it'll destroy your, your concentrate, too. It'll make your mm -hmm. concentrate it's terrible, and it'll make it dark. Um, so definitely no sulfur in, in flour. Burning or yeah. spraying. <clears throat> Absolutely not. But... Um, you know, IPM is like one of those things that you just need to get in tune with your environment. I really like to plant a lot of companion plants. I'm a huge proponent of like sweet alyssum, uh, daikon radish, uh, buckwheat. Um, those all have like little small um, white flowers that are super attractive to green lacewings, parasitic wasps, uh, hoverflies. So watch, pay attention to your environment, your ecosystem, and notice where your beneficials are coming, what plants they like, and try to incorporate as many native species as well, because the native species, the native plants are the ones that evolved there with all of the pests and predators so you can call them in and attract them and then you're like doing something good for your ecosystem right you're like most of us are living in like suburbs or lawns where we're kind of a food desert for these predatory and beneficial insects so they can do an amazing job um helping you keep back your pests any other questions Langbanite. Um, I have laying money in, in my soil. I do too. Um, I was reading about extracting fulvic acid from langmanite with vinegar and like an acid base wash. I guess that's what they do to extract fulvic acid on like a large scale from like bulk fulvic is doing like an acid base. And so I was thinking like, oh, I could, but then it's kind of, I think it's not cost effective to extract your own fulvic acid. I was just wanted to know how they did it. And langbanite, you can apparently extract fulvic acid from it, but I don't think it's cost effective. Don't try it. You could just buy fulvic acid for cheaper. Pretty cheap, pretty cheap. In salt form, you can get it in like salt form, pretty cheap. Yeah. Um, somebody's asking if there is a website to order your seeds. How do people get your seeds, Luna? Um, you contact me on my Instagram <laughs> and, and we will talk and I will send you the list and and uh, go from there. Woo! Yeah. You need to do like a contest for the biggest plant grown by like send your pictures in for a chance to win more seeds when you tag if you're growing by seeds because you are known for growing giants and that would be a fun little that you know. would be really cool that'd be really cool give away like a hundred free seeds to whoever grows the largest plant of my genetic yeah 
that's a huge prize. A hundred free seats, guys. That's like a that's a lot. I mean, it'd be a little bit too late to do it this year, but that's a that's a really great idea. I'll do I'll do that next year. I'm totally into yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, that would be really fun. That would user generated content is like, you know, yeah, that's it's the thing huge. I hear. <laughs> yeah, I try to engage with, with with people as much as possible. So um yeah, the the assassin bugs. So I'm I'm a big fan of using predatory insects um as much as possible and like trying to limit sprays um as much as possible. So, you know, like Alex was saying have a whole bunch of um, companion plants, you know, introducing predatory insects, have a place for them to live, um, invite predatory, native predatory in, uh, insects. I am in Oregon and um, let them have a place to live, right? Let them hang out on your companion plants and then they'll move to your cannabis. So they'll move off of it as needed. And sometimes your companion plants can get infested with certain things that won't spread to the cannabis plants and kind of give them, um, like a food source or they'll have different different just life on for the other insects to eat um it is also important to to note that like um whatever pests that you're fighting there's very specific inputs or or treatments that have very specific modes of action to kill those those insects um and some things are going to work better than others for different pests um and a lot of the time like a um a general Spray is great for preve for preventative, but you really need to identify exactly what you have um, and what is going to kill that pest, you know, the fastest. Like, for example, there's a whole bunch of different species of thrip, um, and some of them fly, some of them dwell in the soil, some of them dwell and multiply on the leaves, and they all require different um, treatments based on the species. Um, and same with with spider mites and and just a whole bunch of different things. So it's really important that you find out in aphids, there's a whole bunch of different types of species of aphids and there's very specific predatory wasps that are needed for those species. Um, and this can be like a kind of daunting task, but it's important to, to really focus on like, to, to be able to like identify those species. And sometimes it really requires reaching out to an entomologist if you want to like effectively control like a population um, get like a really close up image of a dead one, you know, under a microscope um, and send it to like an entomologist or someone who's trained in these things. Cause sometimes there's, there's solutions that elude us and we, we spray a pest over and over and over and it just won't die. Um, and it, it takes knowledge from, from someone smarter than, than us and from, from me. Um, yeah, and the master gardeners, so I volunteered with them, and they're in every county in the United States, and they usually always have an entomologist um, on board from the university, and they, sh like, Bonnie Brandt was my entomologist. I loved her. I would send bugs in, send it to her if I had a question on a specific pest that I was battling, and so they're free. They're volunteers. They just want to help people do things sustainably. So that is an invaluable resource. Everyone has a master gardeners. And most of the time they're like 65 year old women who just want to talk gardening and they're super sweet and they yeah. cook really good food. So you can just like go to one of their meetings and get like, bring the bug and they will just love to talk to you. Um, I was going to say one more thing about pests. Oh, balancing your nutrients. A lot of pests, 
are attracted to your plants when there's something out of whack. So understanding the balance, like aphids are really attracted to plants that have too much nitrogen. A high nitrogen attracts a lot of pests. And that's something I see in a ton of grows is way too much nitrogen. You see that dark, dark green, almost blue, a little bit of clawing. Like that is an invitation for piercing, biting insects. They are attracted to that. So having, that's why living soil is amazing because your plant is typically getting the amount of food that it wants and needs versus force feeding it with anything. Um, and just be, just be aware that if you have too much or too little of anything, that that can be an invitation for pests. I had never heard that, that aphids are attracted to plants with too much nitrogen. Yeah. I learned that from Bonnie. So, cause I had some aphids. Yeah. Bonnie, the entomologist. She is so cool. That's very cool. I'm trying to get Suzanne Wainwright on here. Um, have you heard of her? The bug lady? I have. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know her personally, but I know that she does work for Arbico Organics, correct? And I really like them for IPM products. I don't think she, no, no, no. I don't think she works for, for Arbico. Um, really? Yeah. I, no, she just does like consulting work. I'm pretty sure she doesn't work for any, um, <clears throat> any company like that, but I could be wrong. Um, but yeah, I'm trying to get her on here. She's just super busy. It's a like really busy time of year for entomologists right now. Um, but I want to get her on here to drop some like really solid um, IPM stuff. Hell yeah. Entomology knowledge. Yeah. IPM is, is definitely critical. You guys like preventative and balanced and identification, like having a hand, a jeweler's loop. It's not even like a cheap jeweler's loop that you leave in your greenhouse. That is key. I always have a jeweler's loop so that I can just take a look and then you can identify like, hey, um, aphids versus mites, right? Because that's what I get asked a lot. People don't know if it's an aphid or a mite. And it's like, well, can you count the legs, right? Mites are an arachnid family. They're going to have eight legs, insects, aphids are going to have six legs. So there's little things that you can do to help yourself identify aphids. Although there are so many different species of aphids, aphids tend to only be on the plants that they are, uh, you know, like a cannabis aphid is only really going to be on a cannabis plant. Um, so, you know, if you see a ton of aphids on your um, companion plants, don't trip out leave them there because they're going to still attract the same predators that eat and consume a lot of the um, like, like lady beetle larva. They love all different kinds of aphids. So you'll attract ladybugs to your companion plants or your cover crop that are infested with the other type of aphid that are not going to have anything to do with your cannabis, but it's just like a free buffet for those predators. And then you're not having to buy them. Cause I'm not, a, I personally don't like to purchase insects on the internet. Um, I know there are a lot of great reputable um, insectaries, but maybe that is part of my, like, like I just see in California, like the, nat the naturalist part of me, I see the, um, the harvests of the ladybugs, they go to the Sierra Nevadas and they'll harvest the ladybugs and then ship them out. So they're taking wild insects, not even rearing them, breeding them, and then they're shipping them across the country. And I just, as an environmentalist, naturalist, uh, that doesn't sit okay with me. I'm not going to take something out of its natural 
you know. Right. System. Yeah, the, the, the ladybugs, maybe it's just don't buy ladybugs. <laughs> um, yes. But uh, the, yeah. insectaries, the insectaries, I don't think they're they're breeding ladybugs. Um, like all those ladybugs are definitely like poached from the forest, like you had said. Um, but I really like like lacewing larvae um, and like the aureus mites and the rove beetles, stratiolalapsk mites. Um, and, you know, like they have like the three main species of uh, predatory wasps that I like to use also. Um, but yeah, 100% like don't, don't buy ladybugs. They don't even, they don't even really work that well. <laughs> um, and they're just, yeah. you know, pillaged from the forest. Just, just, just leave, yeah. leave the poor ladybugs alone, please. You want ladybug larvae. Ladybug larvae is what is going to help you and eat and consume those aphids. And so that means creating an environment where ladybugs want to breed. And like I said, I'm telling you this mix, daikon radish, buckwheat, sweet alyssum, those three things alone are going to attract a ton of predatory insects. If they're around, they're going to come. I The sweet alyssum, especially for those green lace wings. Like I have never seen more green lace wings on my farm than when I planted sweet alyssum like in rows surrounding the greenhouse. And it's really pretty. It is really pretty. And it, it's hardy. Like I was dropping tarps on it and it would just bounce right back up. It's like... You can walk on it, you can do anything, and it's like a super hardy plant. Um, yeah, bring bring the bugs. That's going to help you so much. Bugs, bugs aren't are scary. Form an alliance with nature. Um, let's see if there's any other questions. Uh, nope. No more questions. But Japanese lady beetle. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Mm. All right. Well, what do you think? We've been on here for an hour chit-chatting. I love hanging out, but uh, we can call it a night, call it a show. Let's call it a show. It was <laughs> well, well, oh, there was... Oh, <laughs> Lily just took me back off the rotter. <laughs> Lily's been doing the back end, guys, and I want to really thank her. And ladies, sorry about Andy. I don't know. We did the show last night. The email worked fine. And tonight it was just kicking it back. So we'll have to try again. But uh, thank you so much. Do you guys have anything coming up where you're speaking? Um, how, you know, anything like that? Um, I have my next class will be on September 2nd. So that's the first Saturday of the month. I do a new class every first Saturday of the month. Um, this one will be on harvesting, curing, and storage. You don't want those hay terps. We don't want that. We are looking for preservation of terpenes. So that's what we're going to be covering in this class with a strong emphasis on bubble hash Um production afterwards. So how are we keeping these things in mind for concentrate? We'll cover uh, BHO concentrate, like different ways of harvesting with that in mind. So you can, you know, maximize your yield. And they can find that on your website, correct? Yep. Queenofthesunground.com. There you go. Luna, do you have, I know you're, you're writing, you got any new articles coming out soon? Um, yeah. So I'm writing a new article every week. Um, I'm working with greenpoint.com right now. Um, I have a new article coming out on their website every week. And then I have um, my skunk article that I'm working on. I have been doing a tremendous amount of writing lately. Um, uh, you can 
also find my content and my writing on my Patreon Discord. And cool. I've just been working my little butt off with my my projects, with my breeding and my growing and my writing and my. And hey, you'll my, have to send me the link for your Patreon so I can put it in the description, Luna, because you never did send me that. Bad girl, bad girl. Anyway, guys, on <laughs> for the channel, uh, OGs on Monday, uh, live from uh, the Unicorn Music Festival, and that's where I'm sitting right now, uh, is in the Kootenays in BC. Uh, we got Dragonfly Earth Medicine talking tomorrow, etc. Um, and then, of course, Leighton Morrison is on with Av in the afternoon, um, and they're talking about a very particular uh, flower, the protea, I think it's protea flower. Um, and we have a very special guy that's been growing it all over the world coming on on Monday. Other than that, guys, uh, we've got Cannabis History with Dave Dormer on Tuesday, a two-hour special on the language moving across our world and how it changed at each place that cannabis was introduced to. Uh, so it should be a fascinating conversation on Tuesday. Other than that, ladies, wonderful show as always. Thank you so much. Um, so I posted my link tree um, in the the private chat. Okay, okay. Um, but that has all of my stuff. That has my articles, my Patreon, my podcasts, um, Instagram, and uh, Skunk Magazine, all that stuff. Um, and so if you click there, it'll just take you to all my stuff. And if you go to my Patreon... Uh, that's how you can get access to my Discord server, where I have, it's just pretty much like a dump of all of my white papers, everything that I research, all the concepts that I'm studying and have studied, all my recipes on my, my Instagram. It's just like my full brain info dump space. And we like those info dumps. That's how we learn. Okay. So yes, keep doing it. Keep doing it. Ladies, chat. Wonderful night. We'll see you guys all on Monday. All right. Have a good night. Thank you. Peace out, everybody. And we should be out. I hope we're out. It's, I don't think so.